Rob, and I'm the host of Real Friends, a podcast dedicated to sharing the real stories of real friends with the belief that each one of us wants to be fully known and fully loved. Today, we chat with a good friend of mine, Tim Gallagher. Tim is a personal injury attorney and has owned his own business for many years. What sort of stereotypes come to mind when you think personal injury attorney? Be honest. Can a personal injury attorney make a decent living while prioritizing clients ahead of profit? Can people come before profit or does profit have to come first? Listen to my friend Tim Gallagher's story and decide for yourself. This is Real Friends. So I'm here with my good friend Tim Gallagher. Hello, Tim, Rob. How yes. you doing? Good. Um, so how long have you and I been real friends and how do we meet? What's the genesis of our friendship? Running, running, my friend, my running friend. Um, I think I started with the training team in 2016 and uh, showed up and picked the group. And I think you were in the group and we started running. Yeah. So it's been about five years then. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So the way I like to start things out is by using the five love languages is an introduction to who you are and uh, to give people an idea of um, how you give love and how you receive love, especially since you've been married to your wife, Kathy, for 30 plus years. So for those unfamiliar with the five love languages, it's based on a book written by Gary Chapman that groups our abilities to express and receive love into five love languages. And those are physical affection, quality time, words of affirmation or encouragement to love, acts of service, and lastly, gifts. So, um, first of all, how important is physical affection to you, and how has that changed over the years? Hmm. I, I, I need to qualify that physical affection is, I would say, limited <laughs> to uh, my family. Uh, yeah. yep. uh, physical affection uh, with others like in the workplace or uh, clients or acquaintances or people I run with, there's rarely physical affection other than maybe a fist bump or something after a race or yeah. a run. Well, especially uh, with COVID, right? There had been even less of it than there would have been before. Yeah, but I always try to respect people's physical, <laughs> physical boundaries. But uh, physical affection with... Uh, How about with your just your wife and your kids and your immediate family? Um, I think the physical affection with... My children has changed as they've grown up and grown older. Uh, I have three children. I have two boys. One's 31, one's 24, and then I have a daughter who's uh, 27. And um, so that, that, that physical affection's changed. And yeah. when you're younger, you can be a lot more yeah. affectionate. Yeah. Uh, Do you think it's still important to them at this age? Hmm. Is it important to them? Um, I don't know. I, I don't know. So when, um, so I've been divorced several times, and um, at my last divorce, since my kids are actually from my my final divorce, uh, one of my biggest worries or fears was that um, were they still going to view me as like their their stepdad? Um, and what ended up happening is that the the, the first step that I, I had to take was basically, um, and it doesn't deal with physical affection, it deals more with words of encouragement, but it was telling the kids that I loved them. I feel like I'd offloaded that onto their mom, the biological mom, let her have the responsibility of telling the kids that they were loved. And so um, when I then went from telling the kids that I loved them to actually giving them a hug, um, that was a huge step for me. And thank God it's been years ago since since I had to, to wrestle with that part of physical affection because now it's just a normal part of the rhythm of our relationship but um, I like to give the kids a hug below um, hug hello uh, hug goodbye and then also tell them that I love them when I leave them. but that as strange as that may sound that was something that actually took a while for me to get to a point where I was comfortable with that so um, all that to say um, how important do you think physical affection is? It's important, yeah. but, you, but you have to respect people's boundaries. And as you have yeah. your, your children as they grow older, 
your sons may not want the same affection as a 15-year-old as they wanted when they were five-year-old. And then... Too bad. You're getting an ass. Just kidding. So I, I have a story that because of the, the age of my uh, sons, um, when my son Jack was uh, nine years old in uh, 2008, we took a trip, mm-hmm. uh, just the two of us, actually a, a road trip to Cincinnati to watch the Cardinals play the Reds. Mm-hmm. And we stayed in a hotel and swam in the pool and we walked while he would still hold my hand. And at yeah. the same time, yeah, uh, my oldest son was, I guess, 18 at that time. Uh, no, that's wrong, because he was 2000, he was born in 1990. Yeah, it was 18. There was no hand holding with my 18 year old. So I when you had your kids are a little bit yeah. uh, younger, I guess Jack was 11, now I'm doing the math, because he was born, born in 97. So it's changed. Uh, yeah. It's probably the physical affection has changed with my wife as well. I mean, yeah. I, I think um, we go for walks, we hold hands, we yeah. embrace. Yeah, good, yeah, yeah, okay. Um, so how about uh, quality time? That's uh, the second level. How important is quality time to you? What does quality time, what's that even mean to you? What's that look like? Uh, yeah, and I want to state right on the record that I, <laughs> I didn't talk about the love language or even think about it or know about the book until I started listening to your other interviews. So uh, quality time is being present, mm-hmm. spending time, and I think with uh, everybody who's a friend or anybody in my world, whether it's uh, I'm a lawyer, my clients, my staff, other attorneys, I like to be, I need to be present Good. when I'm with them. I think that's important. Yeah. Um, so do you and Kathy have anything like a date night? We try to. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. It's good. How's that working out for you? Uh, it, it, with the pandemic, it's been more difficult, but we, we do go out. Yeah, yeah. We do go out. So how important do you think quality time is to Kathy and what's it look like for Kathy? With me, her husband? Mm. Um, or even with the kids, but yeah, primarily. Uh, you know... Uh, is she intentional about setting up time, like with uh, um, your daughters or your sons? No, okay. I don't think so. I don't, I don't think when you're, when you're... When you're parents of kids in their 20s, okay, the kids in their 20s are going to do what they're going to do and then the parents take, you know, second, the parents just go along. Right, yeah. Uh, yeah so the, you really can't schedule quality yeah. time. I'm at the, the, the stage now, whenever my daughter invites me to come over and spend time with um, her and her boyfriend and my granddaughter, it's I seize on those opportunities to spend time with them because right now they just have a full, busy, active life. Not only a, a baby that they're raising, but they're also building a house and so it's, I just think time is a precious commodity for them. And so I'll offer time, like I have free time to maybe babysit the grandbaby, but um, yeah, it's much more difficult now that they're in this season of life that they're in to be able to actually schedule time. Yeah. It, it's important. Yeah. It's important to my family. As an example is you're here on a Friday in my office instead of at my home on Saturday, <laughs> because I often say my uh, weekends aren't necessarily mine. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, right. No, totally get it. Um, okay, so the third love language then is words of affirmation, our encouragement, our love. How important is it to still say "I love you" thirty plus years after being married? Very important. Okay. Very important. Yeah, words of affirmation. Uh, I'm a lawyer. I I speak a lot, and uh, my uh, I, I use words of affirmation all the time. So one thing that I would like to point out is I think you also, we'll probably get into this later, but just in terms of words of affirmation, you're extremely good with our PACE group in terms of acknowledging their accomplishments, we got encouraging you. people and supporting them. So I see that as being like one of your natural gifts and talents. It's there's, just, there's a lot of people to be praised in that group. There's a lot of, a lot of talent, a lot of yeah. praise to be recognized. Yeah. But you do a good job of doing it. There may be a lot of people that may be true, but you're the one who actually does a great job of doing that. So Thank you. A lot to go around. Yeah. Um, so how about to Kathy? How important are words of encouragement to Kathy? Uh, receiving them or giving them? Both. Um, I don't, you know, uh, 
I think I think yes. As a, as a couple, is it is it? Uh, yes, it's important. It's important to acknowledge your uh, mate, your spouse, to acknowledge what they what what they're doing on a daily basis to uh, foster the relationship, foster a healthy relationship. Yeah. Um, what I personally found was during this whole COVID phase, when it's more difficult to actually spend time in person, um, that I think I began to work on the, the, this love language of encouragement and positive words of affirmation um, as a means of being able to just show people that I love them, basically, because we couldn't spend the same time together that we used to prior to all this COVID stuff. So I've actually found that it's probably become more important to me during this season of life than it was beforehand. In a sense, maybe that was a opening that COVID gave to us. Yeah, yeah, right. Because so we couldn't that, spend the time, we had to use the words to right. that be affirming yep, yep, love language. Yep. Um, so the fourth love language then is acts of service. There's a lot of love in acts of service. I yeah. mean, we do our, we do uh, on a daily basis, you know, we show our love for each other by doing the work. And I'm not just talking about my wife and I yeah. about the house, or yeah. our children, but the, the the love we do for others in our community and the yeah. love we do for others in our job. Yeah, yeah. it's important. Yeah. yeah, I think that's a big way that I try to show people that I love them in general, just through serving people. You, you, you do a great job. Everybody who's listening to this podcast knows that. Uh, your, your photography work, your uh, presence all the time, uh, your presence with our running group, your presence as you post uh, on the uh, every Saturday you're working down in the, at a church or your the services yeah. at the crossing or other uh, churches that you belong to taking the photos. It's yeah impressive. It seems to be one of my ways that I like to express love, but uh, in terms of receiving, I don't know how much I I actually receive people serving me, and maybe that's more because I'm single. So I'm not used to really people like serving me, maybe in the traditional sense, but it's definitely, it's probably my most prominent way that I feel like I show love, dis display love is by serving people. You do a great job, man. Thank you. Um, so lastly, gifts. How important are gifts? And what's the best gift that you've given and received over the past couple of years? Uh... I, I, I would have to say the gift of presence or the gift of you know service. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. yep. You know, a tangible physical gift. Uh, I'm probably blowing it. Um, <laughs> well, you know, maybe gifts uh, aren't that important to you, like in terms of like material gifts. Um, yeah, I'm probably blowing it. Um, <laughs> if somebody got you a nice gift and they're listening now. Yeah, that's what I mean. Uh, yeah, <laughs> I can always delete this part of the podcast. No, I'm probably <laughs> bored, but uh, you know, as as a you know, most you know, most of my gifts probably come from my wife, and uh, she knows what I need or want. Yeah. And uh, after thirty years, there aren't too many surprises. <laughs> so it's probably true. Yeah. Uh, how about for Kathy then? Does she like gifts? She likes gifts. Mm -hmm. She likes gifts. Mm -hmm. What do you think is the nicest gift recently, maybe over the past couple of years, if you got Kathy? Um, huh. I don't know. Uh, Does she leave little hints? Yes, yes. Actually, either Mother's Day is coming up and there was a, a suggestion of exactly what was to be possible. <laughs> But I know I remember <laughs> running with you and telling you that it was always hard to get gifts for her, and I told you how I for for Christmas I got her a record player, we, yeah, which was yeah. kind of a nice uh, surprise. Yeah, so yeah, it's hard. It's yeah. hard. Oh wow! Because we're blessed with uh, resources, and yeah. if really there's something we want, right? And we're also at the stage of our lives, you know, in our mid fifties, where we also kind of realize that we don't need everything yeah you, know, you don't need this stuff well that's true very very true and yep. do I need it or am I going to be throwing it out in right? 10 years yep. on a downside yep. so. good observation good observation 
Okay, so that's the five um, love languages. Um, so now what I'd like to do is do like a brief intro in terms of who you are and where you currently see yourself in life these days. So who is Tim Gallagher and how would you describe yourself in your current season of life? So I'd have to say, because uh, it's, it's my being, because I'm a practicing attorney. Mm -hmm. uh, yep. I've been doing a personal injury trial work for 30 plus years, since 1988. I have been representing people that have been involved in, uh, been injured as a result of some event uh, for since 1996, and have been doing that exclusively, and uh, have my own firm, um, and have had my have worked for myself for my own firm since 1998, um, and so that's that's what I see myself. I see myself as a practicing attorney. I see myself as a father and a and a, and a husband. Uh, but I carry the the practice of law uh, yeah. kind of wherever I go. Yeah, yeah, no, I can see that. Um, I think a lot of us as men, we associate a huge part of who we are is wrapped up in our, our job, our career. So, yeah, I can certainly see that. I, and I'll, I'll just say that it may not, I don't think it's just gender neutral. Mm -hmm. I think that uh, especially... Um, Good lawyers see themselves as lawyers. Good doctors see themselves as doctors, whether you're a man or a woman. I think you just devote so much to that vocation of serving others through the gifts that you've got and the talents that you've got that it is what you wake up to do. I mean, I like to wake up to run, yeah. but I, I, uh, I, my primary is I'm a, I'm a lawyer. Yeah. Um, so this really wasn't part of the script, but... Um, how do you want people to remember you, like when you eventually pass away? Do you want them to remember you first and foremost as a, a good attorney? I hope my clients do, yeah. Okay. Yes. How about friends and family? Uh, how do I want my friends and family? Um, what do you want your legacy to be? Well, hopefully my legacy is healthy children and uh, healthy offspring, and uh, because that's, primary, that's my primary, has been my primary focus raising my children uh, and hope and I think so far so good I think I've, we may maybe didn't do the greatest job but the kids have uh, done a great job um, uh, but yeah good friend you know present yeah. present at the you know present for my clients present for my family yeah. um, so let's go back to your career um, Let's start at the beginning then. What do you want to be when you're growing up? Hmm. Did you always want to be an attorney? No, I think, I think uh, after, after you get over those childhood fantasies of being a, a sports athlete and, uh, and or the president, um, I, I, I think the practice of law always appealed to me because I was, uh, I, I had a quest for learning, I had a quest for knowledge. It may not have always showed up in my grades or my GPA, but just the the ability to just uh, digest knowledge, digest facts, and then keep them in your brain yeah. and use them when necessary. So I kind of I was a political science major in college. I worked in the restaurant business and after I came out of college I was offered a job as an assistant manager at a restaurant but decided to go to law school instead. Mm -hmm. Never looked back. So have you always lived in the St. Louis area? Uh, no. So originally I was born in New Jersey and my family moved from New Jersey to uh, St. Charles County in 1972 when I was nine years old. So what was that like? That was a big change. It was a big change. Mm -hmm. So we lived in the on the Jersey Shore in uh, Monmouth County, very beautiful part of the country, absolutely gorgeous, and oh. the, the ocean. And at the time, St. Charles County was, uh, if people can imagine, Highway 94 was a two-lane road. Yeah. Um, yep. From I-70 to uh, 40 Highway 4061. So it was a big, big change. And you moved there for your dad's job? Yeah, my father was uh, uh, a comptroller for a company called ACF Industries. And ACF Industries had a 
uh, division called Shippers Car Line, which was down in downtown St. Charles and the Arts Foundry Center yeah. is part yeah. of what used to be ACF Industries. Yeah. We've run past it, yeah. yeah. So, so he, that was his office when we moved and we lived in Weldon Spring Heights and we mm -hmm. run past there too. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, so how'd you adapt as a kid growing up in St. Charles? Hmm. Uh, it wasn't easy, I can tell you that. Because mm. at the time, St. Charles was mostly uh, rural and, uh, you know, coming from New Jersey, it wasn't exactly a rural place. It was, yeah. And, uh, yeah, the stereotypes of people from New Jersey talking fast, kind of brash. Yeah. Uh, it's true. It, at least it was for my, me and my family. That was a little bit different. I can remember when we first uh, arrived um, that summer of 1972, uh, one of my older brothers wore jeans to church at, at St. Joseph in Cottleville, and uh, the parish priest, uh, Father McGuire, said, you know, we don't do that here. And um, he maybe had long hair, a little bit longer hair at the time, but it, it yeah it was a little, it was different it was a yeah. different family dynamic yeah um, and then so you went through grade school and then eventually to high school yes in St. Charles County what was high school like huh uh, I went to Francis Hal High School and uh, you know the song are you from Hal so I'm from Hal um, <laughs> yay yeah, Vikings so, yeah uh, go Vikings. Uh, yeah. Good time, bad time? Um, it was a good time. I mean, Francis held the time for, for some of the younger listeners. Uh, there was only one high school, and mm -hmm. there was a population explosion. So in the late 70s, the grade schools went all year round, mm -hmm. and some of the older people that listen to this may remember that. So in grade school and junior high at C. Fred Hollenbeck, and at the time there was only one junior high in the, the school district, uh, you went all year round, so you started, I was in cycle B, and you started the school year, the end of July, and went all year round. Um, yeah. Did you play any sports? I was a football player. Yeah, wow, football, football player. What position? I was a quarterback. Oh, wow. Yeah. Yeah. So how did your uh, team do while you are at? The team, the team did well. I was I was an average, average athlete. I, there, were, there were better players, and I never started varsity. Mm. But we had some good good football players. Yeah, yeah. So what were the popular cliques back in high school when you were attending hmm, high school? Popular cliques. Obviously, it's, I guess, as a quarterback uh, here. Francis Howe was a, uh, uh, at the time, was a big school. I mean, it was mm -hmm. the only school for the whole district. Yeah. So there were people on, you know, the outskirts of St. Charles, and there were people uh, that went to, you know, Defiance, New Melly, uh, it was a big, big, covered a lot of ground. And yeah. Heritage and just some of the, at the time was a new subdivision, so there were more people moving out from West County. It was a, I, I don't know that I can say, you know, what, what the groups were. Yeah. You know, I graduated from high school in 1981, so that's 1921, so that's 40 years ago. Yeah. 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 Okay. Um, then you graduate high school and then college. Yeah, I went to Benedictine College in Atchison, Kansas. Okay. And what was that like? Uh, that was great. Yeah, it was great. Is that the uh, four best years of your life? Uh, <laughs> um, it was. It was a. It was a. It was a great. It was a wonderful place, supportive place for me. Uh, it was. A, it was a tough time in my life personally because I my mother died when I was mm. a sophomore in college, mm. and I uh, there was a tragic event where one of my roommates drowned mm. my sophomore year in college. And it was, that part was tough, and it was a really good formative, not good, it was a horrible yeah. formative year when I was 19. Um, but uh, the, the nuns and the priests and the, the community of Benedictine uh, supported me and helped me to become the man I am. Yeah, yeah. Um, so it's tough, and any time a parent passes away, but... Uh... A sophomore in college, it seems so to be a very yeah. young young age. Yeah. Um, so how'd you deal with that? Was it something? Uh, was it like a, a long term? No. So my mother died of breast cancer. So she was diagnosed with cancer, breast cancer, when I was a junior in high school, mm -hmm. and then she died when I was a sophomore in 
uh, college. Mm. So 82, uh, November 8th, 1982. Yeah. Yeah. I'm sorry to hear that. Um, yeah, I listened to, um, our friend Paul's summary, you know, and everybody's got their own tragic story. Yeah. But uh, the transition of life he talked about from being the oldest, and I've been the oldest in my life because my, my father died when I was 27, since I was 27. So you kind of transition from, when, when you become an orphan, no matter what age it is, it's just kind of different yeah. that your parents are deceased. Yeah. yeah. Um, so it was an early transition. So I've always kind of been... Uh, if I self-describe it, maybe some people would disagree, but I've always kind of been the adult in the room yeah. since I've been yeah. 27. Yeah. yeah. Um, so your father passed away, you said then when you were 27? Yeah, he died of a stroke, following a stroke yeah. in 1990, yeah. yes. Yeah. So I became yeah. a father, and an, I became a father and then an orphan in the same year. Yeah, wow, wow. Talk about juxtaposed emotions going through highs and lows, yeah. Um so how'd you deal with that, with your, your father passing away? Uh, I think that? by that time, I, I, as, as, tr as, as sad as that was, I mean, um, I think that experiencing that deep grief and loss uh, at the young age of 19 mm -hmm. uh, gives... Uh, it gave me a perspective on the finality of life yeah. and that uh, especially the, the, the sudden death of my friend uh, it it affect it, it's affected it's made me who I am it's, it's, yeah. it's in part formed my vocation in which I help people through mm. traumatic and tragic events and and help people that have suffered sudden loss um, do you think pick up and move on. That inspired you, do you think, to go into your profession? I don't know that it inspired me. I, I don't know that, that I would use that word yeah. inspired, but it, it certainly... Uh, Motivated, or at least your experience is kind of... I think, it, I, 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 I think it, if I could say it, 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 it was in my wheelhouse. Yeah. So yeah. I... You know whether you uh, whatever you do at 19. Like I also was a, a cook at 19 in, in a restaurant, so I still cook. So you know when you, the things you learn at 19, 20, 21, whether you're a, a landscaper or whatever it is, I mean that stuff stays with you, and, yeah. and um, it, it helps you to form who you are. So as a, as a lawyer who represents people that bad things have happened to, I. I get it. I get yeah. the loss. I get the understanding. Mm. And I hopefully can help my uh, clients deal with it, get better, and help communicate their loss uh, to a jury if necessary or insurance representatives and get some sort of justice for it. Yeah. Um, so you had mentioned the, uh, the, the loss of a, a friend while you were in college. Yeah. Um, do you care to talk more about that? Um, well, I, I, a lot of, it happens to a lot of people. I mean, sadly, uh, we all, we've all had like somebody who's, who's been killed in a car accident or, or, or a sudden death when you're young. And it, uh, it's just a, it's a, it's a life lesson. It's a life lesson. It's a, it's a sad life lesson, but it's a life lesson that when you learn it, um, I think it, it helps you to just get through every day and it helps you to, to realize that the highs and lows and the, the small stuff, you just you just really don't need to sweat yeah. all the details. Right. Yeah. So was this a close friend of yours? Yes. Was there yes. drinking involved? No, 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 no. It was a drowning. It was a drowning on a beautiful April day mm. and um, we were playing at a lake and we swam in the lake to retrieve a football and cramped up and drowned. Mm. Wow, mm, that's horrible. Yeah, stay with me forever. <laughs> yeah, yeah, right. Wow. In fact, uh, the anniversary was just this past week, and my uh, uh, friends that experienced it with me, uh, we communicate by yeah. text. Yeah, yeah. So, was there a big group of you all? 
um, at this swimming event? No, just a few of us. Yeah. Just a few picnic. One of those, like we've had this past week, you know, where all of a sudden uh, you got a couple of days of rain, and all of a sudden, oh my gosh, there's the sun. Yeah. There's the sun, and it's April, and it's, you know, it's 60 degrees. Let's yeah. get out. Let's yeah. go hang out. So what happened? Did somebody have to try to swim out and retrieve them? Uh, yeah, he drowned, and somebody came back and picked up the body, if that's what you know. Yeah. yeah. I thought maybe one of you had been... No, we, we tried, and it was... We couldn't yeah. rescue him. Yeah. And that's a, that's, a, that's a life lesson. So you think about... That's just my life, but you think about other people that you know that uh, 19-year-olds who've been drafted and went to Vietnam, or, yeah. or, or my father who was 19 when drafted in the, the U.S. Army and served during World War II. I mean, it's just a life lesson of the profound loss when you lose it and the finality of death. Yeah. Yeah, I know it seems trite to say it, but uh, we really do have to appreciate each and every day. Every day. It, and the people in our lives that we love. Every day. You just never know when either your life's going to be taken or the life of somebody who's important to you is going to be taken. And so that's why if there's any type of, and we had talked about this earlier today when we were running, but just the importance of not only loving people boldly, but then also forgiving people boldly. Um and then if you love people well and you forgive people well, um, in life there's going to be times where um, we make mistakes and we're going to have to go back and humbly, honestly, sincerely apologize sometimes for the mistakes that we make, no matter how well-intended um, they may be. And that's uh, an experience or that's a lesson that that's I've relearned recently myself, that you can have good intentions, but you can still, they can totally boomerang on you and things can end up imploding. You can end up hurting somebody's feeling that you have absolutely no intention of hurting. And um, so it's humble, very, very humbling. Yes, in my, in my current job, uh, I'm always called by people who have lost someone at least once, at least once or twice a month. I'm talking to someone who's lost somebody yeah. very suddenly. And it's a, it's a profound grief it's a profound life-changing event and and I have counseled and helped people who've lost family members or children and mm. they always say the memory of the last encounter so yes you want to you want to always mm. always want to try and leave on good terms especially with those you love yeah yep amen amen um so you graduate from Benedictine College? Benedictine College, Edson, Kansas. And then uh, where'd you head to after that? I went to St. Louis University Law School. Yahoo! Billikens. <laughs> and uh, you got a degree, a law degree, right? Law degree, yeah. Okay. Um, and so what's it like attending SLU? Uh, it was great. I really enjoyed it. I really enjoyed it. I think that if, um, if you're called into a profession or a vocation... Of that like of that specificity mm -hmm. it's like when you finally find your niche mm -hmm. like whatever that niche is whether you're a computer geek uh, uh, a numbers cruncher economic guy uh, a lawyer uh, a doctor a nurse where all of a sudden you're with a group of people that are as dedicated to learning that that area or that interested in the profession it's just like you just feel like you fit in mm -hmm. like you're not you're not that guy in the in the cafeteria yeah. or sticking out in the classroom in high school yeah. you're, you're with your people yeah that's good that's a good feeling and so once you got into the the, the law profession that's you just knew that's where you belonged uh, yeah yeah i think so yeah, that's good uh, how about the so how long did it take to get your degree so you law school is three years, three years. Yeah. okay and then you have to to practice law you have to pass the bar exam okay and what was that like that was hard <laughs> yeah that's hard I took the bar exam on my 25th birthday yeah, wow. in July. Wow. Did you pass it on your I passed first on the time? first time. Wow. Very, very good. And so you went to work for somebody immediately? Yeah, then I worked for a law firm in uh, St. Louis City for uh, eight, uh, what, uh, 1988 to 19, yeah, eight years, 1988 yeah. to 1996, yeah. yeah. And how did you enjoy that? Enjoyed a lot. Learned yeah. a lot. Worked for a good group of lawyers. 
Yeah. Very good. Yeah. So what um, eventually inspired you then to go into practice on your own? Uh, I worked in between, after 1996 to 1998, I worked for a, a lawyer who uh, was, in hindsight, I can say was going through some personal problems, had his own mm-hmm. tragedy that his, his wife died. But the practicality of what was that uh, he wasn't taking care of the business parts of the practice and, yeah. and it was time for me to leave. Yeah. I, um, and seeing that lawyer uh, go through the difficult times and depending on that lawyer as an as a, uh, employer paying my paycheck, I decided I'd just as soon depend on myself. Yeah. And so uh, since that time, I haven't received a paycheck and yeah. Yeah. since 1998. I haven't, yeah, so. So what's it like starting a business? What sort of challenges um, did you take? Uh, it's, it's, <laughs> if you could, anybody who's ever done it knows whether you're with, with any small business. I mean, there's just, there's an excitement of being doing it yourself, but then there's also, oh my gosh, I got to do this myself. Uh, so it's, it's exciting. Um, you got an idea, you're going to do this, you're going to yeah. make your own decisions. You're not going to answer to anybody. All that's good, but you know, you have to do payroll for your staff. You have to do taxes. You have to do. There's all sorts of paperwork. Yeah, it is what it is. So, did you immediately start out in an office area like this, or did you start out in your? Uh, in a- I was actually in my house. Yeah, I was okay. in my house. Yeah, I was in my house for uh, maybe two months, and then I subleased from another lawyer, and then I subleased from other lawyers. And uh, since I bought a building in 2010, my wife and I, and then we 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 still own this one. Mm-hmm. Um, so what sort of challenges have you faced in the, the legal profession? Mm. Uh, it's a, it's a new challenge every day. It's a new challenge every day. The challenge is, uh, that you represent someone and another quality lawyer represents the other side and you have to try to, uh, on my side of the case, you're, you're prosecuting the case on my side, you're prosecuting mm-hmm. the plaintiff, you're bringing the case, you have to build the case and the other side's trying to defend the case. Yeah. It's, it's, it's a, a wonderful challenge every day. Sometimes it's a little more frustrating than others, but it's, it's, it's my vocation. It's yeah. my passion. Um, so what sort of challenges did COVID present? COVID kind of shut the courts down or yeah, shut the courts down. So you're able to stay busy at all? Even I was busy, but it's a different kind of busy and, uh, but I'm ready for the courts to open back up so we can do more of the lawyer part. Yeah. And do you anticipate that happening anytime soon? Uh, in St. Louis County, they actually did try two criminal cases within the last month. Mm. St. Louis wow, City, good. they're picking a jury. But I don't think uh, I'm going to be invited, not just me, but the lawyers are going to necessarily be invited back to the courthouse for for normal non-jury hearings. Yeah, Those are still being held via Zoom. It's actually not Zoom, it's WebEx. But Yeah, right. Same difference. Um, so what sort of rewards do you find in your, your field here? career would you recommend your current field to others and why or why not what do you think of the pros and the cons here's why i'd get in why i would get into this profession here's why i wouldn't um that's a good question uh like would you do this all over again would i yeah but but but, yeah yeah, i would but i i uh um that's a good question. I would do it all over again. Mm-hmm. I would do it all over again. But I, I have a certain skill set and a certain interest that works for me and it may yeah. not work for, for others. I mean, there's there's uh, the practice of law. It's just like the practice of medicine. There's so many different fields and specialties that I, I have my niche. How'd you end up picking the personal injury field? Uh, I actually didn't pick it so much as it picked me. I wanted to be a prosecuting <laughs> attorney, but I was offered a job uh, being, a, being an insurance defense lawyer. And I, I enjoyed that, and I did well at it. And 
tried, ended up trying a case uh, in Union, Missouri, in Franklin County, with a lawyer. And um, at the like after that case, shortly after that case, that lawyer and his and his father offered me uh, a job to come work for them. Yeah. And that was what that was my little two-year step into the plaintiff's practice. Yeah. But since that time, uh, since 1996, I've been representing people. Yeah. So, in terms of why you would recommend getting into this profession, what would you tell oh, us? Oh, why would I recommend a um, young student who's thinking about potential? Uh, good question. Um, good question. So, uh, what I do, what the lawyers do that I do, uh, it's remedial in nature. Mm-hmm. So, we're not proactive in trying to do things like some lawyers are proactive in setting up businesses or you know acquisitions and mergers or advising people through you know on how to accomplish things. Something bad's happened, and we come in and we have to analyze what happened, what failed, how the person was hurt, and then try to remedy that situation and. Unfortunately, most of the time, unfortunately or fortunately, the only the only remedy is money. I yeah. mean, uh, so it's remedial in nature. Um, from my angle, you have to love people. I mean, you have to you have to you have to like people. Yeah. Yeah, no, you really good. have to. Yeah, you have to want to champion somebody's cause. You really want to yeah. have to fight for somebody's yeah. who, who you think's been wronged. Yeah. And, Do you have a favorite case that you've worked on? Well, you really had oh a champion gosh. someone. Uh, uh, um, I, I, Robert, I've had a lot of them. <laughs> yeah, well, that's good, I mean, and, right? And I've had, I've had uh, been touched uh, by the strength of so many of my clients that have suffered adversities and um so well that's neat to hear so to say to say uh you know just yeah yeah favorite i don't know i've i've never really thought of it (laughs) what's my favorite case i mean some of them have uh, maybe a a favorite client favorite oh i got i got i got i got (laughs) a desk full of you know, favorite clients, uh, yeah. drawers full of favorite clients. Um, today I spoke with uh, one of my favorite clients. Uh, her name is Billy Pulsford, and she is uh, 94 years old, going to be uh, 95. Uh-huh. And she is uh, lives in Kentucky, and she's uh-huh. a wonderful woman. And her two of her uh, four children, Brian and Jean, were killed in a fireworks explosion. Mm. Uh, July 2nd, I think, mm. 2003. And uh, uh, she touched me deeply, and, mm. and she's a very strong woman, and she lives in Kentucky, so uh, I, I call her uh, before the Kentucky Derby every year, yeah. and we talk about her favorite day of the year. <laughs> oh, and so I, I called her this morning. So yeah. not, not definitely not a favorite case. Um, no. Yeah, but a favorite, a favorite, favorite, favorite client. Favorite client. That's your, uh, I, yeah. I can't imagine uh, losing one of your children, but to lose yeah. two sons at, yeah. at, at once, it was right. truly tragic. And she's been very kind and gracious to me. Uh, yeah. we, we resolved that case in 2008. Yeah, yeah. Um, well, that's neat. And that's an insight that I would have never known or picked up on if we yeah. hadn't had this conversation. There are others... There are others, uh, people who have. I don't. Thankfully, I've never represented anybody else who's who suffered that type of loss of two children at the same time. But there have been others that have suffered, and uh, they've been very uh, uh, uplifting to me as a as a human being to know that that we as people can can move on yeah. uh, when bad things have happened. Yeah, to us. that's cool. Very very cool. Um, so if there were a young student out there who wanted to get be an attorney, but wanted to be in the most lucrative field of being an attorney, what, what field would that be? Uh, making money. Um, yeah. I don't know. 
I don't know. I mean, I, 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 I don't know. I mean, I think there's a lot of lawyers that, that, that do well financially. Mm-hmm. And, um, but I've, I, <laughs> I've, I've never, believe it or not, never chased that. I've yeah. never, I've never done that. I don't, I don't get, I get, I get complicated cases. Yeah. I get complicated cases that, uh, I've, I've done well financially and I'm grateful for that. Uh, but if, if you want to make money, if, if a young person is listening to this and wants to make money, yeah. find a different career because, because <laughs> the oh, practice right. of law, it's, it's challenging. It's, um, in litigation, generally, generally somebody loses. Yeah. Um, so how do you deal with that? Like loss, say, loss. Yeah. Oh, uh, loss. Uh, I s- sleep sleepless nights, yeah. and the last trial that I lost was in September two thousand eleven. And at least once a month, I bring that trial up and 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 talk about it. And all the losses haunt you; they stick with you. But I I think. You know, you have faith in the jury system. You have faith in, in your fellow citizens in the community that when you put the facts before them, they're going to judge fairly. And if they yeah, do you think that genuinely happens normally, most cases, just from your, your that the jury gets it right? Yeah. Um, hmm. I think so. Like, have you ever? prosecuted case where you thought maybe you shouldn't win but you did end up winning and thought maybe the jury didn't get it right no I've never I've never ad- advanced a case that I thought I shouldn't okay. win yeah. I, I never have yeah yeah. well I think it's I, impressive I, I, that you haven't lost the case for 10 years that's incredible <laughs> well, wait a second. let me think wow. of me. You don't. I haven't tried I haven't physically tried a case yeah. since t- 2016 okay um so that loss, that was my last loss. And since that time, well, actually, I did lose a case in 2016, but it was reversed on appeal. So I don't count uh, that. I don't count that. Uh, I don't count it. I don't count that. Um, so. But it, would yeah. you consider it to be better if you can, like, arbitrate or negotiate the cases without them necessarily going to? Hmm. Do you feel better? I think, uh, honestly, you feel better if your client feels better. So, yeah. so sometimes the. the 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 evaluation that the two sides have of the facts and the law prevent a meeting of the minds as far as whether it's a fair resolution. Yeah, yeah. But but if your clients are happy, if it gets resolved, then you're happy. Yeah, yeah. No, I can see that. Um, so if you could have picked any other profession other than being an attorney, hmm. what would that have been? Hmm. Good question. Like uh, me, I always wanted to be a lead guitarist in a hair band growing up. Twang. That never happened. Thank uh, you. I don't know. That's a good question. Um, I think I could have run a small business, or I could have had a has a, had a business career. My father, my father was a CPA. Uh, I'm a, I'm not obsessive about much, mm-hmm. uh, but I'm obsessive about our the accounting and our books. So I probably could have been an accountant. Hmm. I like to cook. I still like to cook. I ah. mentioned that earlier. Yeah, you? what's your specialty? Uh, what's my specialty? I don't know. You've had my breakfast casserole. Oh, your breakfast casserole <laughs> is spectacular. I thought we were going to get into that at the very end when we talked so, about the running. Your like, yeah. uh, uh, I don't know that I have a specialty. My specialty is not desserts. I can tell you that. My specialty is probably... A, my specialty is probably the thing I like to cook the most is a is a is a beef bourguignon that that basically takes a full day to cook. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but I like I like other things. Yeah, yeah. Um, okay, so tell me about your faith walk. My faith walk. Um, you are Catholic. I'm a practicing Catholic. Okay. Yes, just like I practice law, I practice Catholicism. <laughs> and so, what does that mean to be a practicing Catholic? Uh, I don't know what it means to everybody else. Yeah. So no. I'll tell you what it means What's to it mean me. To Tim I'll tell you what it means yeah. to me. Uh, I go to mass. Uh, I would say I would say we go to mass three out of the four weekends in a month. Um, okay. 
I, you know, it's funny, during the pandemic, we didn't go to Mass, uh, and then when we start, could start going back, we did start going, but before that, maybe we were a little, little bit more uh, religious about attending yeah. the Mass, yeah. uh, but we do go to Mass, we participate with the community uh, in the church, um, you know, my faith walk... Um, I don't know. I don't know how to describe it. Uh, I I don't know how to describe it, Rob. I I, I, don't I think a lot. Yeah, I think a lot of people wrestle with it. I was born and raised Catholic for a big chunk of my life, and then um, had a friend who introduced me to uh, the church that I've been attending for the the past fifteen years, the Crossing. And from the the way I explain it, from the moment I attended service there, I was sitting up in the very top row where nobody could see me. And the worship started, and the pastor started, and it was as though somebody took lighter fluid, began pouring it on this small, smoldering ember. I had no idea existed inside me. And from that point on, I was on fire, baby. And so it was just a different experience from what I'd had um, in the Catholic Church, and not not in the Catholic Church at all. But I knew that that's definitely where I was um, called to be. And then six months later, at the class that they offer called Exploration, I began to connect these dots. This whole time earlier growing up, um, and again, I don't know if it's my interpretation of Catholicism or I thought somehow I was earning my salvation. And when at this class of Explorations, I learned about this concept of grace and that salvation is really, it's, it's a gift from God. All we have to do is accept it. And for me, that was like, that was a light bulb moment for me. And so from that point on, I would say I've never looked backwards. It doesn't mean life has been perfect. It doesn't mean life has been like um, issue-free, problem-free, but it's definitely been, I can continue to feel like God is legitimately, honestly calling me more and more into a, an intentional plan and purpose that he has for my life. And so that's kind of where my, how my faith life has kind of enveloped me. So I'm just curious with other people if they sense kind of that genuine, do you feel like God really has a plan and purpose for you in life, or is it more subtle than that? Um, as you describe that, I would I would probably say that that was part of my transformation when uh-huh. when I had my rough time, when yeah. people were dying. Yeah. I mean, okay. I think that just yeah. that realization that... Uh, there is an there is an end to our life here, yeah, right. and there is something more after. Oh, amen. Um, amen. Yeah. So uh, that realization that there is life after this life. Yeah. Uh, that 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 faith walk. I I had that, and it's yeah. like uh, I, I feel that. Yeah. I believe that. Yeah. Uh, and hopefully, I live that. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Yep. Um. Okay. But we're, I'm still practicing. Yeah, yeah. No, that's good. That's good. Um, so let's jump ahead to 2021. Um, you're a runner. Would you like to share your experience, history, and the importance of running in your life? And what are your thoughts regarding the importance of having a good running community to train with and to do life with? Oh, well, that's a great question. And it's... Uh, um, so I think the running for me has been transformative in many ways. Uh, physically, uh, uh, I was I'm 58, uh, 57 now. So in 2010, so 2010, I was 47, I guess, because um, I haven't turned 58 yet. And I weighed 195 pounds and I was happy. Mm-hmm. Uh, I was maybe fat and happy. Mm-hmm. And uh, I, I had, I had my first episode of gout, which is, uh, which is uric acid in your big toe, and it's known as a rich fat man's disease. <laughs> and uh, yeah, wow. and uh, my primary care physician said, "This is what's going to start happening to you, and you know, unless you get in shape." And um, and that was, and then, and then in December of 2010, I was in the midst of a trial, really stressful trial, where, mm-hmm. where my client had been paralyzed as a result of following a medical procedure. Mm-hmm. It was very, very yeah. stressful and hard fought. And I lost 
you know, seven pounds during that trial, my, my yeah. pants fit. And that was actually in December 2010. So as the calendar turned to 2011, mm-hmm. I decided I was going to be more uh, proactive about trying to lose weight. And uh, I, I originally started in the gym and then outdoor running, I think probably started later in 2011. Hmm. And then when I turned 50 in... 2013, I told myself I was going to run a 5K every month. Yeah. And that's kind of how I started with the 5Ks. And I did that. And then, you know, after you do a 5K, you want to do a 10K. And after you do a 10K. uh, And so my first long run was the the Go Relay. And I think, I don't know if that was 2014. I think it was, I don't know if it was 2013 or 2014. Um. And then we, then I, I think I did two mar, two half marathons, two go half marathons, maybe only one, but one or two, without the big river, uh-huh. and it just, it, it was just, it wasn't. I did it. It's what I knew, but it yeah. just, I felt lonely. Right. Yeah. Um, and so for our listening audience, what is Big River? Big River Training Team is a is a group. Uh, Sponsored by Big River Running Company that meets uh, two times a year for a total of, what, 12 weeks, uh, January through March, and then July through September. uh, 12 weeks at different locations, and pre-COVID, hundreds of people would show up, and people would run at all different paces, and it was, you know, never took attendance. You just showed up. but I started doing that. Uh, I had a couple of uh, friends of mine, uh, Jerry Gibbs and Matt Gibbs, who recommended it and recommended it for a number of years. Well, by the time I started it, they, they had kind of phased out of it. But there's a progression there because Matt Gibbs was the pacer for Stephanie Hussman, who was the pacer for Tim Gallagher. So it's like, you know, it just kind of is <laughs> a continuity. Uh, so uh, the group is is uh, so uplifting to me. It's such a part of uh, my, the, the, you know, weekend and, and just something you look forward to. I mean, yeah. just looking forward to. Right. I agree. You know, you have running friends. Yeah. Right. Um, yeah. It's the, the way I've grown to view it is that originally when I started running, I tried to get some of my current friends to run with me and they just weren't interested in it. And so my mindset changed to start running with a group of people. And what's end up happening is these people that we run with have actually become genuine friends mm-hmm. that I uh, love, care about, involved in their life, interested in what's going on. And what we've seen happen over the past five, six years is um, people have stuff that happens in their life, either like breaking a bone, cancer whatever it might be and the group still rallies around that person outside of just running and so running is definitely it's kind of like the the healthy rhythm or pace that everybody um, gathers around but it's definitely the the relationships um, involved in running are equally as important or maybe more important than the running that have now all grown out of that simple little running group yeah it has it has Um, the other thing is what i've discovered is um, when you get busy with a career and you get into a busy season of life, it's difficult to even make like one additional healthy friend, much less we have like a dozen like really wonderful friends. And it's they're like a different even though, you know, the majority of them may be married. We also have some single people. We've got older people, younger people. They're just this interesting mix and in demographics that we're exposed to. And I just absolutely love it. It's a so, gift. Yeah, it is yeah, a yeah. the gift of community. It yeah. really, really is a, a yeah. community that uh, is built up around running. Yeah, yeah. No, I, agree. I agree with you. It's hard to meet. The older you get, uh, the busier you get with your your life, yeah. your career. If you're a parent with your kids, and 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 you, you you may get to know new friends through your kids. Yeah. But running has been a way for me to make my own friends 
outside of my family yeah. or my career yeah. Yeah. and good friends. Yeah, yeah, agreed. So have you always lived in the St. Louis area and been as close to Forest Park as you are? So, yeah, so I've lived in Richmond Heights since 1990. Oh, wow, that's nice. So, and I remember when I first started running, you know, I'm going to run to Forest Park. Yeah. You know, that, yeah. And then, you know, that was before we had the watch. Yeah. So, you know, you'd, you'd get the kids in the car and you'd, you'd drive your route to see how far it was. Yeah. So I, I had a route that it was just about two miles to Forest Park. And before I'd run the St. Patrick's Day race, which was a five-mile race, I'd, I'd run a little loop around that statute kind of at the base Art Hill. Yeah. Or, and that was that looping back was five miles yeah. and I do that once and that was my training yeah. Yeah. Uh, but it's fun I, I uh, as you do you know you live for it oh yeah you know? absolutely absolutely um, okay as we wrap things up then uh, final thoughts what sort of advice or encouragement would you have for others in a similar season of life that you're in or just mm. uh, advice in general mm. I don't know if I have any advice. Uh, um, season in life. So I'm 57, going to be 58. And I've got, you know, my children, my oldest is married. He's 31 now. Um, I don't know what advice. I don't know. Enjoy every day. Yeah. You know. Right. Forgive. Yeah. And when it comes to Give and take. Give more than you feel you have to take. I yeah. mean, agree. Yeah. Uh, enjoy every day. Enjoy every step. Yeah. Yep. I uh, think we kind of even mentioned it earlier. Love people boldly, genuinely, and authentically. Forgive people equally as boldly. And then in those cases, when we mess up and screw up, no matter how well intended, um, have the courage. To go ahead and sincerely apologize for the mistakes that you make in life because life is way too short to think that you can make up for it later and run the risk that you know maybe you won't so true yeah true all right um i appreciate thank you as a friend i appreciate you taking time out of your day to uh um, oh before we close though uh -huh. you asked me on our run this morning what the craziest thing i was going to do what was the risk what was the question you asked Oh. Is there something I really want to do? Yeah. That, so, for example, like me with this whole podcast, kind of doing something out of my comfort yeah, yeah, zone. Yeah, and, and I yeah. want, to, want to say this is out of my comfort zone. Because yeah. it's funny because as a lawyer, you ask a lot of people questions, but it's usually targeted. It's about just a certain thing, aspect of the case or something. But you're like... Okay, I want to ask you this, and you're and, and the questions that you've asked the others, I just don't think that way. So, and, I, and I'm sorry if if I bored uh, your listeners with too much of the the law no. stuff. No. Um, but, but I found this to be very the thing that I thought was to to see the heart of an attorney, which. I got to be honest with you. Sometimes it's easy to stereotype different professions and the whole uh, personal injury. Even with me knowing you, until you shared stuff like that, I, it's, I had no idea that there's as much heart involved in it as you had shared. And that's, yeah, I found uh, that to be really good, really neat. Yeah, I, and I'm not, I'm not, yeah, you can't stereotype anybody. Yeah, and, well, that's a good point, we, too. We as, lawyers, yeah. we as lawyers know that, whether it's with our clients, with yeah. the opposition, yeah. uh, with jurors, you just can't stereotype everybody because everybody's walked their own path and everybody's got their own story. Yeah. Yeah, and so maybe that's the the, the, the words of advice or the, the, the last message that you leave with yeah, me. That no, is true. Yeah. That's good. Yeah, everybody does have their own story. Otherwise, why would I be doing this, right? And, and when you, when for, for this, instead of real friends, it should be fast friends. Fast friends, yeah, speedy friends, 830 friends, friends, 830 page group friends. Yeah, yeah. As anybody who's in the 830 group knows, you're just you're just staying with us for a little while because yeah. you could be in the 830. Yeah, no, it's a hang with my friend. So, all right, thank you very much. Thank you, and bro. Thank you to all of our listeners, and I hope you enjoyed this uh, podcast. And we'll catch you on the next Real Friends.